new series this morning called Defining Moments. Defining Moments, moments that count, moments that make a, a difference. And I thought about history. I, I love history. I used to teach history back when I was a young man, much younger man. I'm still a young man like Pastor Daryl is. But I don't know. I think Pastor Daryl's in denial a little bit. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> but I used to teach history, and I thought, though, there's a lot of defining moments in history. But when I think about some things, I, I got to thinking about a little slogan that we have heard in history, maybe even fourth grade history. I have not yet begun to fight. Anybody remember hearing that uh, little phrase, I have not yet begun to fight. And the person who said that was a naval officer in the Revolutionary War by the name of John Paul Jones. You all know him from John Paul Jones Arena. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you know it as JPJ <laughs> Arena. But I want to tell you this morning, John Paul Jones is more than just an arena. He did some things a couple hundred years ago to earn that title to get on the name of the John Paul Jones Arena or Coliseum here in Charlottesville. But John Paul Jones had the comment, I have not yet begun to fight. We think of the Revolutionary War. We think of the fighting that was on the ground. We think a lot about George Washington and the Continental Army and the Delaware River and all those stories of um, Valley Forge and all of those things we think about. We don't think as much about that there were actually some naval battles. There were some battles on the seafront. And this man, John Paul Jones, was leading one of the colonial ships, this ragtag army and this ragtag navy that God put its hand upon to help win the Revolutionary War, if you will. But John Paul Jones was in a deep battle and his ship had taken on great battering and damages and taking on water and it was not looking very good, if you will, for the home team. And so the British commander that was on the, uh, the other vessel sent word across to them and he said, basically, are you ready to surrender? Do you feel like sometimes that the enemy sends a message to you sometimes in your life and says, are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to give up? Are you ready to say enough is enough? When the microwave oven blows up and the stove quits working and then the refrigerator, refrigerant cooler runs out and it all just seems to keep happening to you and you say, I just give up. I throw up my hands and I quit. Now those are kind of trivial things. Many times it's a health issue and it's a family issue and it's a job issue and sometimes it seems to come from all fronts and you're taking on water and your ship has been pulled apart and you have a, a hole in the vessel if you will and the people that are with you maybe are getting a little afraid and a little anxious and word comes from the enemy are you ready to give up? Are you ready to surrender. 
The message came to John Paul Jones that day and he said these infamous words that I believe we can take this morning in a spiritual connotation. He said to them, I have not yet begun to fight. Now that inspired me. I hope that inspires you. He's basically saying, yeah, it looks like the ship is sinking. In fact, the ship did end up sinking. It looks like we're going down. It looks like defeat is imminent. But I have not yet begun to fight. I haven't even started fighting. You send word back to that enemy that he's not going to get off that easily. I have not yet begun to fight. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, goes on to say that his ship did sink. But before his ship sunk, he and his sailors took the British ship and seized it and won the battle as even as his own ship was sinking in the sea. I have not yet begun to fight. It was a defining moment. It was a moment that counted. It was a moment that made a difference. It was a moment that really mattered. It was a defining moment. A defining moment leads to something. A defining moment is when we decide that we're going to make a significant statement or a significant stand or a significant change. A defining moment can start a movement. It can set a new course of action. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty, what? Or give me death. Ronald Reagan, in a defining moment, stood on the Berlin Wall and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Martin Luther King stood on the Lincoln Memorial. And really that day, he ad-libbed. He had a speech that he gave, but then he got very inspired and began to speak what really became the essence of the I Have a Dream speech and, and saw the momentum of what was happening. And he declared, I have a dream. It was a defining moment. Today we see a defining moment in the life of the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel. Now the teacher part of me necessitates that I tell you we're going backwards chronologically today. We have worked our way through David, the last series, we worked our way through David, right? David anointed by Samuel as the king. And then we worked our way through some, just a small portion really, of David's life. But I could not, as I was preaching that series, and as I was studying and, and preaching that series, I could not get away from this verse that I'm going to share with you in just a few moments it has rolled over and over in my mind. I have thought about it during the nighttime. I have thought about it during my many weeks of travel in and out and on an airplane or in a car. And this verse continually just has come back to me. And so I feel compelled to use it as we start this new series, Defining Moments. But if you would go backwards with me prior to David, there's the story of the prophet Samuel. You may remember that his mom, Hannah, was barren and she went to the temple and she prayed and she was so engrossed in her prayer that the, that the priest Eli thought that she was drunk. You remember that? But she prayed and she said, God, if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And sure enough, God blessed her with baby 
Samuel. And after Samuel was old enough to ride in the car without the car seat, she took him to the temple and she gave him to Eli and she said, God has given him to me. I'll be back every year to see my boy and to bless him and to hug his neck, but I'm giving him back to God and to God's service, right? And the story goes on as Samuel was developing as a young man. God began to speak to Samuel. Sometimes in the middle of the night and Samuel didn't know the voice of God yet. And he would go down to Eli's room and he would say, did you call me? No, I didn't call you, boy. I'm trying to sleep. Go down the hallway. He'd go back another time. Did you call for me? No, I'm trying to watch Netflix. Would you go down back to your room and leave me alone? But finally, Eli says, the Lord is trying to speak to you, boy. Go, and when the Lord speaks, you say, here I am. I'm your servant. I'm listening for you. And God began to speak to this man, Samuel. And he raised Samuel up as a prophet. Samuel had all the training under Eli. All the practical things fell in line in his life. All the spiritual things began to fall in line as God put his anointing and began to speak to Samuel. And Samuel became a mighty prophet of God. And so then we come to a time in the story then where the people of Israel began clamoring and wanting a king. God didn't want to give them a king. He wanted them to trust him and to trust the religious leaders and the prophets but but finally God relented and he said Samuel anoint Saul as the first king this was a very public thing obviously it was a very very uh, noted thing everybody saw that Samuel acting upon all of his experience all of his upbringing all of his spiritual anointing and authority goes before the people and he anoints Saul as king of Israel, Hang with me because I'm going somewhere with that. All of these things and everybody sees Samuel doing what God has told him to do. Fulfilling his role as a prophet and Saul becomes a king. Unfortunately, Saul was not the best of kings. Unfortunately, Saul had some insecurities. Unfortunately, Saul had pride issues and, and all of that weaving back and forth. Fourth, Saul begins to make decisions that do not please the Lord. Saul at one point steps into a role that was reserved for the priest. And he does some sacrificing that should not have been done by him. It was not in his authority. And it displeased the Lord. Finally, God says, Saul is gone. I have rejected him. I have refused him from being my king. And that brings us then to this point in Samuel's life. I've never thought about it so much this way um, from Samuel until this little verse that I'm going to share here in a second kept marinating over and over in my mind and heart. But Samuel had been the one to put Saul where he was. Samuel's name was on the line. Samuel's reputation was on the line. Samuel's track record was on the line. He had stuck his neck out, if you will, for this man, Saul. And the people trusted Samuel. And when Samuel sees that God has rejected Saul, the Bible says that Samuel mourned for Saul. 
No doubt he mourned because of the personal things that he was part of, but he also mourned, I'm sure, because he loved Saul. He probably mourned because he loved all the people of the nation. And he thought, now what? Now what? God, you told me to go and do this. You instructed me to do this. But now it's not working out the way I thought it was going to. Ever been there? Ever been there? Ever felt like you really legitimately was following the will of God? Have you ever felt like, Lord, I know I prayed about this. I know I made the decision that you instructed me to make. But for some reason, it's not working out the way that I thought it would work. And that is the situation Samuel finds himself in. A situation of somewhat being embarrassed. A situation of probably somewhat being angry. A situation of being very sad. A situation of being a little disillusioned and disoriented. And thinking what will happen to my, my country, my nation, my people, the Israelites. God has rejected Saul. Now what and here's the scripture, 1 Samuel 16 and 1. I just gave you the backdrop of all of that. And here's what God said to Samuel. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn that was like a flask, like a cup, like something that he would carry with him to go about and do his work as a prophet. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. Let me read that line again. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. God looks at Saul and says, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer are you going to mourn? Now, I want to be real careful right here. I want to be very careful right here. And I want to balance it out the right way and share with you what's on my heart here and, and I hope to do it justice and you just pray, say a little prayer for your pastor this morning. First, let me say mourning, sorrow, being sad is very biblical. It's very scriptural. The psalmist cried many times. Jesus cried. Here we see Samuel no doubt cried. He was mourning. So what this pastor is not trying to do this morning is to criticize you or to make you feel bad or to make you feel less than if you yourself find yourself right now in a season of mourning. Is that all right this morning? Do you hear my heart? Do you hear my love for you this morning? If you find yourself in a season of mourning in many ways, it's a natural process, too. In many ways, there are stages that we, we go through in the natural as we head towards healing. So I'm saying this morning, this sermon is for you. If you find yourself in that season of mourning, this sermon is intended to give you hope that you don't have to live there forever. Is that all right this morning? 
You don't have to stay there forever. I looked at this little verse and I see that God said to Samuel. He asked Samuel a question. He said, how long will you mourn for Saul? And as I thought on that and I thought on that and I prayed on that and I prayed on that during the week as I was scrambling from here and there and yonder. To me what I see there is God is saying to Samuel, you do have some choice in this matter of how long you're going to stay in this season of mourning. He, he's, he's, he's validating that it's real hurt. He's validating that it's real mourning. He's validating that it's a process. But I see here there is an element to this where he's saying, Samuel, some of this is in your court. Am I preaching all right this morning? Do you, do, am, I, am I coming across with love this morning? Am I, do, do, do you hear what I'm saying? He's saying there is an element of this, Samuel, where you have a decision to make. There's an element of this, Samuel, that, 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 that you could sit here the rest of your life and you could just mourn and mourn and mourn and you could say, I love Saul I put my neck out for Saul. I anointed him publicly. This was a spectacle and now it's all gone. And I am sad. I am mourning. I am just going to stay here and I'm not doing anything else. And don't you know, friends, that the enemy, Satan, would love to, to put you or me in that kind of spot. He would love to get us in a situation where we are mourning for someone or for something or for something that hasn't worked out in our lives the way that we wanted them to. And he would love to just have us sit right there for the rest of our lives. That's what he would like to do. But God said to Samuel, how long will you mourn? I believe that day God had watched his morning. God had been with him during his morning. God had been healing and trying to help him. But he also was saying, listen boy, it's time to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And I know it hurt. And I know it's going to hurt. And everything you're mourning about is not going to change. What's done is done. How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. As hard as it can be to think about this. Sometimes we are in mourning because things have happened that have been God's will to happen. I'm preaching mature word here this morning. With love, with love, with conviction, and with the Holy Spirit. But do you hear that this morning? Sometimes things happen in our lives and God directs our paths and God says no or God removes somebody from our life or God shuts a door to a dream or whatever it might be and we're mourning about it. But if we're honest, we have to step back and say, but it was God's will. It was God's will. It was God's plan. I'll tell you this morning, I wouldn't be here this morning pastoring the best church in the world today if God had let me pursue every dream that I ever had. 
if I had gotten every job that I had applied for, if every door had opened that I had wanted to open, I wouldn't be here this morning. Sometimes it's God's will that we're mourning about. We're mourning because something has happened in our lives, but yet if we step back maturely and look at it, we have to accept and say, okay, God, this was your will. God looked at Saul and said, I've rejected him from reigning Israel. It was God's decision, and now Samuel was mourning about it. What is it in your life that maybe, just maybe you're mourning about today? That God wants to help you. He wants to help you through it, and he help, wants to help you move on with it. Sometimes it's a dream that's been destroyed we all, as young people, have dreams and ideas and visions of what we wanted life to be. And we all can't be like my wife sitting back there, her dream to marry such a wonderful person. And it, it came true for her. Oh, somebody ought to say amen. This morning. <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble, aren't I? But we have dreams in our lives. Sometimes only to wake up, if you will, to reality. To realize certain dreams are just not going to, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to happen. How long are you going to mourn over those dreams? Sometimes we have decisions that we have made in our lives only to come around a few years later or even many years later. And look back and say, why did I make that decision? Can I get a witness in the house? Everybody made perfect decisions. You've all made perfect decisions, right? <laughs> Sometimes we look back and why did I make that choice? Why did I make that decision? And the enemy would like to put us on that hamster wheel of regret and go over and over and over in our minds with the I wish I had nots, what if? I wish I had not, what if? I wish I had not, what if? And he will put us through the ringer of those decisions. When God would say to you and to me this morning, how long are you going to mourn over that? How long are you going to mourn over that? Are you going to let some decisions that you made 50 years ago affect you now? Are you going to let decisions you made a year ago affect you now? How long are you going to mourn about those things? And then there's the diagnosis. Please hear me this morning. I hope you know my heart is, is in this today of what I'm preaching. I, I hope it's not coming across hard in any way because that is not how I'm feeling and that's not how the Holy Spirit has given it to me. The diagnosis. Life going along perfectly. Life going along like we planned. Life going along the way we thought it would be and husband and wife and two and a half kids and a white picket fence and a dog and a cat and a gerbil. Lord have mercy. Because that's what we have. A dog, two cats and a gerbil. Oh my goodness. I can't mourn over that, can I? <laughs> but everything going along seemingly like it's supposed to go. But then we get the phone call. Or we're in the doctor's office. Or somebody texts us 
us in our family or ever how it comes around and we receive the diagnosis. And then as much as we pray and pray and pray, sometimes the diagnosis stays around. And then we start seeing the regression hit and we start seeing the the, the progression of the diagnosis happening in our life or maybe in the life of someone we love. And it's devastating, right? And it hurts. And in many ways, life changes forever. And in many ways, life is not at all like it was. And we sometimes can long for the days pre-diagnosis. These are defining moments. That's the name of the sermon this morning. But I ask us this morning, are these the moments that we're going to really let define us? Are these curveballs of life, these heartbreaking issues of life, are these the things, uh, is this who we really are? Are, Are they who we're destined to be? Is that where we're stuck Is that where we're going to to live emotionally and mentally and more importantly, even spiritually? Is that how it's going to be? We're going to let all these things, our shattered dreams, our bad decisions, our heartbreaking diagnosis, are those things going to paralyze us and put us where we are and we don't move from there? How long will you mourn for Saul? How long will you mourn for Saul? Can you put that scripture back up this morning? How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing, if I could say it this way, that it was my will, I rejected him from reigning over Israel. Look at the next part. God said, all right, I'm challenging you, Samuel. I'm shaking you a little bit here. I'm getting your attention a little bit. I'm I'm asking you a a provocative question. I'm saying to you, how long are you going to sit here and mourn? But I'm not just going to try to help you get moving along. I'm going to give you power to do so. You hear that this morning? God will give us the help that we need to move on like we need to move on. He said, fill your horn with oil. And go. Think about that. He's speaking in a physical sense there, but there's a spiritual connotation. He's saying, get your flask, get your vessel, get your container, whatever we would call it these days, get your Yeti, whatever it would be that you would be putting it into. He's saying, get it and pour your anointing oil in it. Fill it up. And go do your job. Go do your job. Spiritually speaking this morning, the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. Right? 
The oil is representative. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In New Testament times, the practice of getting anointing oil and praying over the sick that we see in the book of James is because it is representing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Everywhere in Scripture, the oil is representing the Holy Spirit. In Samuel's office as a prophet, he would take that oil and he would sometimes pour it over someone or he would take it and smear it on them or anoint them with it. And it was symbolic of the moving of the Holy Spirit that they were hoping would happen in that moment the Holy Spirit come up on them and here he says how long are you going to mourn get the oil back get the Holy Spirit flowing again and I would say to you this morning that if we find ourselves immobilized we find ourselves discouraged we find ourselves disillusioned I believe the Lord would say to us get your vessel and say Lord fill me again with the oil of the Holy Spirit so I can get up and go. Somebody else say amen this morning. So that's my final point this morning. Time to refuel and refocus. It's time to refuel and refocus. Fill your horn with oil and go. Receive strength that is beyond yourself. That is the strength of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think sometimes as Christians, sometimes as believers, maybe even sometimes in my own life, if we aren't careful, we look at things too much from the natural. And we say, that could never be possible. We say, I could never do that. Sometimes we say, I could never cope with that. Sometimes we say, I can't move on from this. I, I can't do any better. And we're looking from the natural. But God wants to remind us by this one little scripture that we have covered this morning. That it is his strength in us that can make the difference. You have more to do. Look at your neighbor and say, you have more to do. Now, if the neighbor was your spouse, you'll look back at them and you'll say, I know I have more to do because you made that to-do list for me, that honeydew list. You have more to do. Every one of you in this room, myself from the front to the back and the back to the front, you have more to do. And God says, get your vessel, fill it up with the Holy Spirit and get after it and get going. Pick up your hammer. Nobody ever tells me that. But pick up your hammer. <laughs> Sharpen your tools. Right? Power up your computer. Tune up your instrument. Sing your song. Open up your Bible. Open up your mouth. Pray over your family. Hug your family tight and proclaim the word of God over them. Do what you are called to do. Amen? You've got more to do. I've got more to do. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? How long are we going to mourn? Get up! Say, Lord, here I am. It's been tough. It's been awful. My heart has been broken in a million pieces. I'm so disillusioned right now. I'm so angry right now. But by faith, I'm going to get up and I'm going to move on with my life. And I'm going to say, Lord, fill me again with your Holy Spirit. What did John Paul Jones do? J.P.J. It's more than just a concert arena. 
What did he do? He'd been battered. It had been torn. There were holes in the ship. There were boards falling apart. They were taking fire from the enemy. I don't know for sure, but probably some of the crew might have even had already been killed at times. All of those things, all of those attacks, all of those wounds, all of those hits, all of that pulling apart. But he stood up and he said, I have not yet begun to fight. In fact, and furthermore, and hence unto and therefore, <laughs> let me tell you this morning, you are in more of a position now to fight the good fight of faith than you were before the storm. Oh, come on, somebody. If I was T.D. Jakes, I'd have let out some kind of big whoop right there and had an organ player behind me. You are in more of a condition to fight the good fight of faith now than you were before the storm. Because I'm stronger after I've endured the attack. Right? After I've been wounded, I have experienced his healing and his grace and his tenderness. And I have a testimony that I can share. I've taken some hits. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I've taken a licking, but I'm keeping on ticking. And I can fight better now after the storm than before the storm. I've been pulled apart, but God's mighty hand has put me back together again. And I think that sometimes we need to declare, I have not yet begun to fight. Somebody say amen this morning. I'm a survivor. I don't know about you. I'm not one of those weirdos on the island survivor. No, that's not what I'm talking about, that TV show. I shouldn't have called them weirdos. Sorry about that. Lord, forgive me. I'm not one of them, but I am a Christian survivor. Right? I am a survivor. I am a victor. I have not yet begun to fight. And my defining moments are in my experiences. Yeah. My defining moments are in my losses. My defining moments are in my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. My defining moment is in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that keeps this pastor going. Somebody say amen this morning. Would you stand with me? So I just want us to ask the Lord this morning to refill our cup. Is that all right? Say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, all of me, the good, and the bad, and the ugly. Here I am. <laughs> Here I am, all the experiences, the, the great things that have happened in my life, the tough things that have happened in my life, the things that cause me joy, the things that cause me hurt. Here I am this morning, standing in your presence. Here I am this morning, and I want to declare to you, and I hope somebody else will declare this to the Lord through faith. I've not yet begun to fight. Lord, I'm not giving up. Lord, I'm not happy about everything. Don't have to be. Don't have to be. Right? Lord, I'm sad about some stuff. That, that's, that's normal. It's okay. Lord, I'm crying about some things. Cry on. He bottles up your tears. It's all right. 
But in the midst of all of this, I'm going to come out a better person. I'm going to come out more anointed. I'm going to come out fuller of the Holy Spirit. I am not staying in my state of mourning. I'm going to get up. I've got a job to do. I have not yet begun to fight. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just bless you right now. Lord, we just ask for the Holy Spirit from the front to the back and the back to the front as we stand in your presence this morning, as we stand right here, as we have listened to the proclamation of your word. Oh, my Lord, your word is so powerful. Lord, it's not because I've given it out. It's in spite of that. But, Lord, your word your, the, the declaration of your word to us this morning is so powerful, so significant. As you tell every one of us, stand up on your feet. Receive the oil of the Holy Spirit and get up and go and do what I have called you to do. And be who I have called you to be. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We stand before you this morning and we ask you as individuals to put the oil of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, in our comings and in our goings, in our workplaces, in our, in our family situations, in the hospital rooms, in the rehabs, God, in the houses of the shut-ins, Lord, in relationship issues, in finances, Lord, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the strength that is beyond our natural selves. When we've done all that we can do, you have said, get up and fill yourself with me. Get up and fill yourself with the presence of the Holy Spirit and I will take care of the rest and I'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe the Lord wants to help somebody this morning. As we're praying here this morning, just allow him to touch you. Just allow him to encourage you. Allow him to put a fire in your belly, if you will. Let him lift you up. Let him remind you that he is with you. Let him remind you that if God be for us, who can be against us? Let him remind you that the circumstance does not define who you are. There might be trouble on the right and heartache on the left and a challenge in the front and accusations behind you, but stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit and know who you are in Christ and whose you are. And I have not yet begun to fight.